Relations between the United States and Cuba have been troubled ever since Fidel Castro's revolution installed a communist dictatorship there almost 50 years ago. While Cuba's a favor with Europeans vacationing in the Caribbean, a strict embargo has made it nearly impossible for Americans to legally visit our Caribbean neighbor. But now that Fidel no longer heads the Cuban government, perhaps things are changing. I'm Rick Steves. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're going to explore some of the realities, anxieties, and possibilities regarding Americans and Cuba. Guidebook author Christopher P. Baker has just released a new edition of his Moon Handbook to Cuba. He joins us in a moment to update us on the current political climate. He'll fill us in on the appeal of Cuban culture, tell us what it's like to live there, and explain what visitors can expect from a trip to Cuba. Cuba just turns me on like nowhere else in the Western Hemisphere. It is entirely unique. We're exploring Cuba in the hour ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. Stay with us. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today, it's Cuba, and I have with me the man who wrote the book. Christopher Baker joins me. Christopher wrote The Moon Handbook to Cuba, and it's out in a brand new edition. Christopher, thanks for joining us. Rick, it's a tremendous pleasure to be back with you. Now, why do you have this passion for Cuba? You must be inspired to to not just go there and hang out, but to share it with American Oh, absolutely. I mean, Cuba just turns me on like nowhere else in the Western Hemisphere. And it hit me immediately. I went to Cuba the first visit in 93. It is entirely unique. It's a combination of a little bit of capitalism, communism, and the Caribbean. I mean, it's socialism and sensuality. Socialism and sensuality. It's almost surreal. Communism and Caribbean, <laughs> with now a, do- a dash of capitalism. Is there capitalism There's a dash on? of uh, quasi-capitalism, let's call it that. I mean, uh, well, when Cuba- you go there, they want your money, don't they? Well, the Cuban government relies on tourism these days. Is it a big part of their economy? It is the major part of their economy. Really? So no more money from the Soviet Union, and they uh, are thankful to have some tourism, huh? Oh, absolutely. They depend on it. But we can't go there, are we Americans? Well, not Americans now. I mean, there are very few Americans who can get a license to go legally, but they got 2.3 million tourists last year from Europe, Canada, and from South America. 2.3 million? And that was down last year, the first year in years that it's actually fallen. It was 2.5 huh. the year before. Why do they think it went down? That was several reasons. Uh, Firstly, I think there was a little trepidation about Fidel's illness and what that meant. Uh, There was an outbreak of dengue fever. That made news in Europe. But also Cuba has begun to outprice itself competitively. Is that right? It's getting expensive. It used to be a great bargain. You can no longer say it's a great bargain. It's a tremendous destination still. It's going to be nearly the same cost as um, Dominican Republic or something like that? Absolutely. Probably a little more. Why is that? What, the hotel's expensive? I mean, the people are eating well, on the Well, two streets. reasons. Two reasons. The first is that in 2005, Cuba devalued its currency. Okay. So 10% immediately increase huh. in prices. At the same time, they have just been across the broad, increasing their prices for hotels, etc., and they've overstepped their mark. There's, oh, okay. It's a monopoly. It's a state monopoly, so there's no competitive mechanism. But is there like two parallel economies, one for these two million tourists that go to Cuba and then one for how many people live on the island? 11 million. 11 million. I mean, these people don't have money to spend what no, you no, spend. No, no, they're, they're paid an average of about $14 a month in pesos, Cuban pesos. But everything that tourists spend for, they use convertible pesos, which is an entirely separate currency. But as a vagabond, could you go there and live like a, a temporary Cuban? Um, <laughs> more or less, but it is still going to be a fairly expensive destination. Okay, interesting. Now, we're in kind of a limbo here. Fidel, he's, if he's still alive when people are listening, I mean, he's apparently on his deathbed. He's out of, out of political, he's not functioning as the dictator of the country anymore. Is that right? Well, that's, that's certainly true. However, how he is now is difficult to say because you've got certain members of his family, such as his son, and recently his niece saying... Hey, Fidel is recovering. He's doing great, and he's coming back. Is that right? And Raul is pretty much in command if Fidel is incapacitated. Raul is firmly in charge, and I would say he's done a remarkably good job so far in mm. the last seven months since um, they announced that Fidel is you know, hospitalized. Now, Raul has nowhere near the charisma that Fidel has, but, he, but Raul has good relations with the military, right? Well, it's not just good relations with the military. He's head of the military. Uh, the military are extremely loyal to him, but he's underrated. He is an incredibly efficient mm. manager. Hmm. He's proved that with the military. And the military, interestingly enough, are perhaps the most important body within tourism. There are branches of the military that run 
entities of tourism. They have their hotel branch. The construction of hotels is by the military. Aero Gaviota is a military but civilian airline running tourists around. So the military actually promotes tourism in Cuba? Not just promotes it, it runs it. Many now, why the would they key... be interested in running tourism? I don't get it. <laughs> well, the collapse of the Soviet Union, let me tell you, Cuba was really in a, a bad way and they needed dollars and the art, you know, there was no funds for the military. Oh. The military had to earn its own keep. So they um, have their own hotels? And absolutely. The, and that helps fund the military in Cuba? Absolutely. Well, now we get into the big issue. There's a lot of Cuban-Americans that are very angry that somebody like you would write a guidebook and encourage Americans to go to their country. How do you respond to that? Well, firstly, I'm, of course, catering to the entire world right. and not just to Americans. But secondly, I believe that um, everybody, Americans included, especially us, have a right to travel and determine for ourselves what the reality is anywhere in the world, be it Cuba or otherwise. This is not really an issue of Cuba for me. We could drag in many, many countries. So if you call Fidel the uh, devil incarnate and a, a horrible dictator... He's not alone on this planet in that way. Of and, course and not. We can, what, what are some other countries you could, that you could visit that have a dictator like Cuba? Well, perhaps not a dictator, but look at China's human rights record is terrible. Right. Uh, there are many, many, many countries that we could list that have terrible human rights records, right. but we're not restricted that way. Well, now, we interviewed you a couple years ago, and, and somebody uh, wrote me. They didn't sign their name, or I, I wish I could say who this was, but, but this is the, the sentiment of a lot of people who are listening. Uh, Rick, on the show you did on Cuba, you made a comment that I felt was very inaccurate. Paraphrasing, you said that many of the Cuban exiles in Miami are wealthy and hoping to go back to reclaim property. And that's the motivation for a lot of the negativity from Miami. I am the son of a Cuban exile, and while I do not agree with a lot of the policies that many in the exile community here advocate, that particular assessment is way off. Most of the exiles I know are not wealthy and were not wealthy in Cuba, and they are all fervently anti-Castro. Most have no property at all to go back to. Does that make sense to you? Um, some parts of it do make sense, but uh, much of it does not. I mean, the, it's not a homogeneous body in Miami. The More than 50% of Cuban-Americans in Miami have been shown to be in support of talking to Fidel, some kind of rapprochement with Fidel, but they can't get the ear of Washington, and they're out-shouted, if you will, by the more anti-Castorite So element. your experience is half of the Cuban-Americans in Florida would like there to be an easing up of restrictions Absolutely. so Americans could Absolutely. go to Cuba. Sure. And maybe they would believe that the more Americans who went there the more uh, there would be understanding between the countries and the more they'd see the beauties of capitalism and freedom and maybe that would be a, it would a, be a, lever. a constructive it, way to change things. Absolutely. It would be a lever. We use this technique in Eastern Europe and Russia by engaging. Sure. We influenced to push democracy hmm. forward. I'm talking with Christopher Baker and Christopher writes a number of books about Cuba and the brick that we're talking about today is the brand new hot off of the press, Cuba, the Moon Hand, what do you call it? Moon Handbook to Cuba, right? Moon yeah. Cuba, yes. And uh, this is like 750 pages, and it was fun just to, to browse through this book and <laughs> pretend I was planning a trip to Cuba. Let's talk about this, uh, just the practicalities of getting to Cuba. Now, you mentioned over 2 million tourists go to Cuba every year. I understand it's the number one Caribbean destination for Canadians, and That's Germans correct. are wild about Cuba. But Americans, because of our, our foreign policy, we can't go there. Now, a lot of Americans do go there. How many? Is there an estimate of how many people from the United States actually visit Cuba? I'm not aware of what those numbers are right now, but it used to be more than 100,000 a year. About three years ago, it was 30,000, and surely it's less than that now because they've become more... The Bush administration has tightened the restrictions. So it really can, even though it's generally restricted, it sort of gets tighter or looser depending on the, the tenor in Washington, D.C. Exactly. Now, of these... 50 to 100,000 people that are going to Cuba or whatever, some of them are going legally. You can be... Well, actually, what, are, what are the ways you can go legally? Most of them are. Most of those will be Cuban-Americans visiting family. Then journalists, certain categories of journalists can go, certain sports figures for competitions, etc., and certain humanitarian travelers with licenses, religious travelers, etc., but that's not me. I just want to go to Cuba and have a Cuba Libre and see some old cars and, and marvel at old Havana and, <laughs> well, uh, and check out communism struggling to I, work. I don't have the current numbers, but there are a good number of Americans who simply get on a plane and go to Cuba without a license. Do you do that through the Yucatan? Do you do that through you Vancouver? You would do that through what's... Mexico, through Canada, through Jamaica, through Dominican Republic, through many, many places. Okay, just between you and me, kind of secretly. I want to go to, <laughs> I want to, go to, I want to, go to oh, Cuba, uh, but I, I've got an American passport. 
What are the hoops? How do I how do I make this work? Well, you're uh, we're in Seattle. How far away from the Canadian border? Flights like, out of I Vancouver. I could be to Vancouver in three hours. <laughs> Vancouver to Havana. Those flights exist. Is that right? Yeah. And then I get to Havana, and they look at my American passport, and they say, you're not supposed to be here. Well, the Cubans love Americans. The Cubans do not stamp your passport. So they won't and stamp my passport, just like the Israelis didn't don't stamp your passport stamp if you don't want it stamped, no, because no, no. it might cause you problems. No, in, in fact, countries. they don't stamp anybody's passport. It's just like Is going that right? to Mexico. Just you welcome. get a tourist visa. <laughs> but what's interesting, you know, when you come back through Canada, the Canadians with, you know, who engage fully with Cuba. Right. Uh, the government engages with Cuba, et cetera. They're uh, very receptive to Americans and the plight of Americans who have traveled illegally to Cuba. So the Canadians cooperate with they American do. travelers. Okay. So you can't promote this, but if somebody wants to and you really believe that it's a, a, a civil liberty to be able to travel where you want to travel, if somebody goes to Mexico or goes to Canada, they can fly to Cuba without a visa. All they need is a plane ticket and money. It can be done. It can be, and it happens. As you say, I'm not promoting it, but it right. can be it done. It can be done. And if you're German, you do it routinely. Of course. All right. We got this limbo again. We got Castro incapacitated for the time being. Who knows? He might get healthy. You got Raul, who's running the military and running the show and doing quite a good job. A lot of people expect the big change will happen after Raul, who's just four years younger than Castro, Correct. right? Yes. He's 76 now, I yeah. think, or something like this. So his, his years are numbered. Um, what's, the, what's the latest trends now in American policy towards Cuba? Or, or when they go, what would you predict? Is it going to be... Because they're going to be both gone. There's nobody in, in the same um, stature of them, is there, that can th carry on the That's very true. Family. And this is the unknown, isn't it? Um, there are some very capable people working with Raul right now in ministerial capacity who have the potential to be good leaders. But can they engage the support of the military, which is going to be critical? And of course, what Washington does is critical too. And that's partly going to be shaped by partly by Cuban-Americans in Miami. Now, is there a, a fervor for this continued dictatorship? Or, you know, when Franco died, his successor was Juan Carlos in Spain, and he was supposed to carry on the fascism, and Franco expected he would. And Juan Carlos said, it's not worth the fight. Let's just morph into a democracy. And today they've got a constitutional monarch and not a hint of uh, Franco's fascism. The dictatorship is gone peacefully. Would you see that possibly happening in Cuba? It possibly can. I mean, it's difficult to say. I was there in December and speaking with Cubans, and the one thing they do not want is violence. They want to control their own destiny, that's for sure. Mm. Even those people who are ardently waiting for Fidel to go so they can take care of their own lives, they don't want Americans shaping their lives for them. So they're motivated by independence, and probably the most Absolutely. counterproductive things Americans could do is force them into the communist uh, corner just because we threatened their freedom. Absolutely. Yeah, they want to control their own destiny. I'm speaking with Christopher Baker, who writes The Moon Handbook to Cuba. Tell me about this dictatorship. What does it mean today? Can they have local dissent? Is the media free? Can you get online with your computers? Uh, you know, None of that. None no, of that? No, it's so, a very, very restrictive environment. Okay, so it's restrictive. The press is, is propaganda. Oh, it's all government. If you want, if sure. you want free press, where do you go? Um, it's very difficult. You have to do it under the table in Cuba. I mean, there, there's very little opening for um, can you get on? Can you get expression. online? Can you check out? Uh, um, there are there are only certain a number of Cubans who have access to the open internet. So this very is few. very. They're effectively uh, shutting off the world from these people in Cuba. In many ways, yes. Uh, religion, freedom of religion. Can you open? Uh, the, there, the there is there is freedom of religion. Yes, I mean they, they operate within tight confines, but they've been loosening the boundaries recently. Are there any sort of untouchable, charismatic local uh, leaders in the dissent that are sort of too popular for the government to silence? Not really. I mean, most of the um, leaders in the uh, dissident movement have served time in jail. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
877-333-RICK and radio at ricksteves.com. Holiday, holiday, It's Travel with Rick Steves, taking your calls to discuss tourism in Cuba and the U.S. government's uneasy relationship with our Caribbean neighbor. Our guest is Christopher P. Baker. He's the author of several travel books, including The Moon Handbook to Cuba. We're at 877-333-RICK and radio at ricksteves.com. That's our email address. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm talking with Christopher Baker, and Christopher is a... Can you say Cubophile? Oh, absolutely. He's a Cubophile, <laughs> and he knows, uh, I think, everything about Cuba. He's written several books about Cuba. The new edition of The Moon Handbook to Cuba is in the bookstores now. You can call us anytime at 877-333-RICK or email us at radio at ricksteves.com. And Mary's on the line from Virginia. Hi, Mary. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Got a question or comment for Christopher? I do. I've passed Cuba many times while on cruise ships. And I wondered when he felt that we might be it might be open to American travelers legally. Well, that's a great segue into there is a bill currently just been introduced into Congress. It's bipartisan. Uh, we're hoping that it will gather enough strength to get passed and that Bush uh, will um, sign it if it does get passed. But it requires everybody's support. Uh, we need to be calling our Congress congressional representatives. We can do that through cubacentral.org and try and get this bill passed. This bill is to lift all travel restrictions to Cuba. So, Christopher, do you actually think that um, our congressmen and women are open to lightening up on Cuba if they realize there is a, a real swell of support for that? Oh, absolutely. There's been enough um, support for similar bills in Congress before. So what what we need to do is be calling our congressional representatives to get them behind this bill to get this bill passed. Okay, so again, cubacentral.org is a way to learn more about that. Mary, are you, uh, does, that, does that give you some ideas there? Yes, it does, and thank you very much. It's a fascinating uh, thing to think about, isn't it, after yes. seeing Cuba so many times from your cruise ships? Yes, and I think that many travelers who've been to many countries around the world are really salivating to go to Cuba. I really do. Well, it's uh, Canadians. Uh, it's the number one destination for Canadians, yes. for, apparently for good reason. And everybody I've talked to has been there. Just they just are evangelical about it. And yes. the um, the cruise ship companies are salivating too. Okay. <laughs> well, you, you know, of course, there's different approaches to this, and some people think embargo and just isolation is the way to go, but. I think if you if you love freedom and care about people and you're a conservative, you could actually think it's pragmatic to open it up and, and get them some Coca-Cola and some Levi's and show them some American fun and, and maybe they'll uh, lighten up and enjoy our sort of values. Well, I look forward to reading Christopher's book also. Thanks, Mary, for thank your you. call. Oh, and thank you. Bye. Bye now. And Bill in Sharpsburg, Georgia. Hi, Bill. Hi, Rick. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah. Um, I um, have been 12 years here in Sharpsburg, Georgia, but I grew up in Culver City, Los Angeles, and lived there all my life. And there's a large community of uh, Cubans in Culver City. Matter of fact, Washington Boulevard is nothing but uh, Cuban restaurants and everything, so I knew a lot of Cubans. And I grew up with their music, and I loved the music, I loved the culture, and I loved the people. And here again, it's, uh, there's some that are very anti-Castro, none of them are loving, but they still want to open up because they would like to visit relatives that are getting older and older, mm. you know, easier than it is now. I've gone all over the world, and I went in the 70s into China through uh, Australia. It's a long story, but I snuck in and saw China as it was then. And I desperately want to go to Cuba, you know, and I would just love to have our government open it up. I can't understand yeah. why this, uh, our neighbor that is no threat to us. Why we cannot travel there when I can travel to China, I can travel to Iran, you know, other places in the world that are uh, much more of a threat to us. And here they've got this great neighbor that is, uh, regardless of their political uh, thinking, you know, they're, they're not a threat. The culture there is just wonderful, and we should be exposed to it. Yeah, Bill, Rick from, uh, from Florida emailed us, and let me read what he had to say. He said, being a Canadian citizen living and working in the United States provides me with an interesting perspective on Cuba, especially living in South Florida. 
It's one thing to take a stand against a nation with missiles pointed at you in the 1960s, but it's a different matter entirely to still, after all these years, be punishing an entire nation over the politics of a tired and ailing old man. The goal here, as it was with the former Soviet Union, should be to strive for warmer relations. The Cold War is over, something that would most certainly have a positive trickle-down effect on the general populace. The U.S. doesn't have to embrace communism in order to be a good neighbor. Does that make sense to you, Bill? Oh, exactly. That I, 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 I wish I'd have said that before. <laughs> yes, exactly right. I just can understand why we neglect and avoid this country. When I went into China in the early 70s, I had no problem. The people were fascinated with us. You know, a, a tall, blonde guy who just stood out, you know, a photographer. And um, they loved us. You know, we had no problem. And if we do that, we open up our borders, we open up our society, it's going to be less problems because right now everybody has preconceived notions of what we're like and what they're like, and right. they're not like that. They're normal people all over the world, and it's just, um, I, I would just love to travel everywhere. <laughs> I have no problem traveling. Bill, thank you very much. Those are, those are good thoughts. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Well, there's, there's a lot of different ideas on this, and we have Maria on the line from Miami. Hi, Maria. Hi, Rick. How are you? Good. Thanks for your call. Oh, no problem. Now, do you have any ideas on what we've been discussing? Oh, yes, several. (laughs) Yeah, uh, one of the things that really strikes out to me is saying how the Canadians um, feel the plight of the Americans when they go via Canada to to Cuba. But what about, you know, the, the plight of the Cubans that are on the island? And that's one thing that I think people forget about, that... The people that actually live in Cuba are under communism. They have no freedom. That's the part that really gets me, that people think, oh, it's such an exotic place. But really, there's more to this than people realize. You know, some of the most powerful travel experience I had was going to Bulgaria during the Cold War, and these people were kept down in a horrible way, just like the Cubans are today. And it, it really gave me an appreciation for the the humanity and the tragedy of that lack of freedom. And, and for that reason, I thought it was really valuable for me to be able to go there. Right. But the problem is that Bulgaria is part of the European community, or you know, they're, part of, they're landlocked, so people can smuggle things in, like they did in Poland with the, with the Pope and, and Reagan when they met here in Miami. They, they decided to really start the, the whole um, the, uh, the glass mill there with, uh, in Poland. But the problem with Cuba is that it's, it's an island, and everything is controlled, the comings in and the comings out. Sure, they want the Americans to come in because we got the dollars. Right. So you think that really it'd be best for the people of Cuba if we were not allowed to travel there until their government changes? Well, the people in Cuba are not allowed, to, not allowed to travel anywhere. Why, you know, they have to go through a lottery to even come to the United States to visit, some, to visit people. They, I mean, if they have relatives here in Miami, they, they, they're not allowed to come and see them. Right. And it's just, it's just very one-sided, and people just think that it's all exotic cars from the 50s, right. great music, yeah, but and Maria, great food. I, Maria, I don't think people... Um, by appreciating the cars or the or the food or something, are discounting the the tragedy of the downtrodden people of Cuba. I mean, it's a very sad and, and unfortunate uh, situation for people who who don't like to think of people living under a dictator. There's just people right. that think traveling there is a way to um, bring well, the world to it's them. The and, law. It's the law, and you know, and thank I goodness see. that we live in in the nation of laws. And it is what it is. I mean... Okay, well, that's one reason to... Um, there are people that believe that if it's a law, we, we're a law-abiding nation, and, and you just follow the law then. So that's... Exactly. And, okay. you know, and thank goodness that we, we can discuss what we're discussing here because we're sure. not going to be thrown in jail because it, no one in Cuba can have this discussion, what we're having here. Christopher, any there, thoughts? Yeah, there are a couple of um, thoughts I want to make. Firstly is, in traveling to Cuba, meeting with real Cubans, living with real Cubans... I have made um, members of the Cuban community my family. I assist them. I help their lives through being able to support them, renting their rooms, buying meals from them, etc. But there's another point, too, and it's very, very interesting that um, that Fidel really uh, had wanted the embargo. Sure, because he didn't think that the Soviet Union was ever going to go down. No, no. He wanted the embargo to scare people into supporting him uh, against, uh, because the only other choice was American imperialism. Exactly. Well, and 
guess what? Guess who, you know, who's on the winning side? We are. And he want, his ego is so huge, even though he may be on his deathbed, he still won't allow the embargo to come down. It's him. It's the Cuban government that really... No, the, re- the real reason that we still have a U.S. embargo is that there's a clique of the Cuban-American community that wants it. Washington I, pays attention mm-hmm. to the electoral results during election times out of Florida and does not want to displease a million Cuban-American voters in Florida who will tend to vote Republican, vote for any, against anybody who wants um, dialogue with Cuba and to permit travel to Cuba. And you're correct, and it, and it, will, and it will be there, and it will be like that until the Castro is dead. And I think the reason why we are so strongly... In, in favor of that, of the embargo to continue, it's because we suffered. The Cuban community here in Miami has suffered so much to have your family members killed in front of you, to have to cross over, you know, the, the Florida Straits to come over here just for freedom. There's a big difference between being exiled and, be, and being an immigrant, and the Cubans are exiled. Hmm. So that's that's why we we take it very personal. All right. Well, that is a that is a big distinction, and I'm glad you've pointed that out, Maria. So thank you very much. And no, uh, thank you for this discussion. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, and let's just hope for the best for the people of Cuba. Oh, absolutely. Thank All you. All right. Okay. Bye now. I was lecturing on Cuba on a cruise ship, and somebody came rushing out of the audience up to the stage and said, "We should revoke your citizenship." And I asked him why. He said, "You know, it's the law." Blah blah blah. And I said, "Well, tell that to Rosa Parks." Well, there's, uh, there's people that think American laws should be enforced in, in France. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, they think, you're, you, they think you're wrong for smoking marijuana in Nepal because it's illegal in California. <laughs> Hello. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm speaking with Christopher Baker, and Christopher writes the Moon Handbook to Cuba. Uh, we have Joe on the line in Columbia, Missouri. Hi, Joe. Hi, Rick and uh, Chris. It, it's a pleasure to meet both of you. Uh, this is very interesting, considering I'm going to—I'm a, a journalism student right now. Um, my, you guys—you guys kind of addressed my first question. Um, is there? I'm, I'm going to move on to something a little more lighthearted, I guess. Viewing cars in Cuba. What's the best way? Well, Christopher writes a book called Cuba Classics, which it's a coffee table book featuring all these great cars. What's your best tip on uh, for car lovers to enjoy this sort of uh, <laughs> old car utopia? Well, uh, you know, as soon as you arrive in Havana Airport, there they are waiting as taxis, etc. I mean, you walk into the car park at Havana Airport and you've got uh, 50s Edsels and Hudsons and Chevys. They're all over. In fact, one in six one in eight cars in Cuba is a pre-revolutionary vehicle, so you don't need to do anything else but hang out on the street. Wow. Pre-revolutionary meaning before... Before 1961. 61. All right. And uh, I, I read that in the 50s, Havana was the number one purchaser of Cadillac Absolutely. anywhere in the world. Absolutely. And they're all still there running around as, as communal taxis. Now, there are communal taxis today. Would those have been um, sort of the cars of the elites under the Batista regime in um, the old days? Probably so. I mean, interesting. It was a, it was enough, a poor that, country back then well, with a, a rich In elite. many ways, it was a poor country, but it was also the world's richest tropical country per capita. And Havana was absolutely the wealthiest tropical city in and the world. And the big shots would have their Cadillacs, and, and today, uh, ironically, they're uh, sort of the communal taxis. Yeah, and as you say, more Cadillacs sold in Havana than any city in, in the world, including the USA. And oddly enough, U.S. classic cars with Russian parts to keep them patched <laughs> together and running. Is that right? Oh, many of them running around with Russian <laughs> tractor engines inside them. <laughs> could, I, could, could I ask just... Why are the old cars still there? I mean, there's other countries in the world that makes cars. Why have they not moved out? Do they just love their cars? Well, it's not, no, it's uh, much more complicated than that. Um, Cube, the average Cuban is not allowed to own a purchase uh, or sell a vehicle that's post-1961. The Cuban state owns most of them, so they've had to keep these things running. Plus, you know, the Cubans who receive such a low salary, there's no option. Uh, there's no option on buying new cars. That's just another reminder, uh, Joe, that when we're thinking about visiting Cuba, we're visiting a, a country with a poor peasantry that doesn't even have the opportunity to, to buy a new car. Is that right? Um, that's true. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, yes. In, ter- in terms of income levels, it's true. Right. Thank you, guys. All right, Joe, thanks for your call. I'm speaking with Christopher Baker, and Christopher writes the Moon Handbook to Cuba. Christopher, when we're thinking about traveling in Cuba, let's just talk some practicalities here. Um, 
I, I suppose when you go, you got to see Havana, but you want to balance that and get out into the countryside and have some time on the beach. If you got eight or ten days for a vacation, how would you divide that up? Oh, that's easy, Rick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have my favorite places. I mean, Vinales Valley, um, just two hours away from Havana. What an incredible place that is. The landscapes are absolutely phenomenal. It's the center of tobacco production where they you know, make the the most wonderful tobacco for the best cigars in the world. I'd then move on to the city of Trinidad. Like Old Havana, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. The entire city is a 17th, 18th century city, preserved and restored and lived in. Absolutely amazing experience. And then we need a beach. I'd go to Cayo Santa Maria or Cayo Coco, gorgeous white sands, teal blue seas, absolutely stunning combination. And those are within easy striking distance of Havana? Yeah, you can certainly do all that in one week. Okay, so you got you can see Havana, which is the big capital for a few days. Then you, you see a town that is more of a workaday town, Trinidad. Trinidad, yes. And then you go to your Vinales Valley, and that's Vinales your Valley. pristine countryside with tobacco Beautiful. plantations. Beautiful. It's got these incredible limestone formations. And then the beaches, Coco Beach or Santa Maria Beach? Cayo Coco or Cayo Santa Maria. Is Cayo, does that mean beach? That means key. Key, ah, okay. Like a little island. Very nice. And of course, this is what a guidebook's for, so when people get your book, they can do all of that. And when you're in Trinidad, you're in a, you said people make $14 a month. Is that right? Well, that's the average salary paid to a Cuban. So you're going to be, the streets are going to be filled with people on, in bicycles eating uh, little cheap. Um, bicycles is cowboy town too. Um, you know, Santeria, if you want to learn about Afro-Cuban religion. Now, Santeria, that's a mix of uh, it, Christianity. It's a mix of Catholicism and Afro-based religion. Sort of voodoo stuff? Or not quite voodoo, but... Animist? Oh, they got yes, st- yes. Yeah, in a sense. It must be just very exotic. F- the think. streets are full of this stuff. It's oh. fantastic. And you'd want a guidebook to read the cultural orientation so you can be up to speed on the things you're going to be seeing in the streets. Now, you mentioned the tobacco in the Vinales Valley. Can you visit cigar factories? Or, or you know, everybody knows about the... the well, cigar, cigar factories, most of them are in Havana. Okay. Um, and they, you can tour them. They have guided tours. But if you go to Valle de Vinales, there is uh, an individual there, Alejandro Robaina, who's very famous. As he's the only man with a cigar label in his own name. Wow. He travels the world as What's the ambassador. Alejandro Robaina. And he travels the world as Cuba's cigar ambassador. And let me tell you, his finca, which is privately owned, welcomes visitors. And you get Tobacco 101 from Alejandro himself. And you can buy cigars there, but you got to smoke them before you come home. <laughs> That's true. If you're an American, you better smoke them. You better not be bringing them back. No me preguntes tanto. Hay ciertas cosas que no quiero decir. No empieces con tu llanto. Mi amor, te pido, no me hagas mentir. Te anime. There's more on tourism to Cuba and the island's future just ahead with author and Cuba expert Chris Baker. 877-333-RICK. And you can post your comments in the radio feedback forum on our website at ricksteves.com. You're listening to Travel with Rick Steves. Eight seven seven three 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 rick and radio at ricksteves.com. You can also post your comments about what you hear on today's program in the radio section of our website at ricksteves.com. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm speaking with Christopher Baker. Christopher writes the, the Moon Handbook to Cuba. We've got uh, people on the line. We've got lots to cover here. Christopher, let me just quickly ask you a few things about some, some kind of nitty-gritty uh, issues. Uh, are Americans, in spite of the embargo and, and the difficult relations between our two countries, how are Americans accepted on the streets of Cuba? Oh, they're welcomed wholeheartedly. Cubans love Americans. They love everybody. I mean, they, they're an incredibly gracious, generous culture. Now, they used to be subsidized with Soviet money. Of course, that's gone. And now the U.S. embargo is designed to really strangle their economy. They do have income from tourism. Uh, but is the, is, this, is the country just kind of rotting because the economy is uh, sort of uh, in, a, well, in the a, doldrums? A lot of the infrastructure is incredibly deteriorated because of the difficulties of, um, you know, the existence of an embargo, the fact that it is a communist nation. You know, it just doesn't function in many ways economically very well. 
Is there a bed and breakfast scene where you can actually stay in people's homes? Oh, absolutely, there is. I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're building more and more hotels, including they've got the first real world-class five-star hotels coming online right now. But what now. about humble staying but in But you can homes, stay yeah. with families in private homes, and that's really a way to go. If you were, really want to understand Cubans, their daily lives, and feel the passions that they feel and really enjoy their company, yes, you stay in Is it in legal for these people Casa or dangerous? Paducah. No, it's legal. They're legalized. Really? So they can take yes. the hard cash? Yes, they can. They're heavily taxed. They operate under severe restrictions. So if I'm walking into some little no-name town that has almost no tourism, I could ask around in Casas Particulares. And in many places, because there's no hotels. And so this so that's is where you stay. This is where you're going to have to stay. But it's the way to go. Now, you're laying on a beach. Are you pestered by poor people that want to sell you things? Um, in a few places, perhaps. But most uh, beaches that receive tourists are now well-pleased, and um, there's not that much hustling so in a, there. in a tourist zone, they will have the, the sensitivity of keeping the hustlers away. Right. Um, the Tropicana is a famous, uh, <laughs> what was what, the most flamboyant nightclub in the world in its day. I understand um, there probably still is. Talent scouts scouring the country for the most beautiful lady. And they still do that. Is that right? Yeah, they, they, they still have the best uh, musicians, the, the best dancers, etc. It's a fantastic Las Vegas review. Yeah, but that's Western hedonism and decadence. Ah, right? Cat but it's Fidel, also Fidel go for that? very Cuban. It, what's amazing to me is you go into the little towns where tourists rarely ever venture, and where are the Cubans going on a weekend day? going to their little mini tropicals. They love this stuff. Is this it, is Cuban tradition. Is it kind of kitschy? It's, it's very kitschy. It's Cuban very, It's sexy and kitschy, but they, you know, they're sensualists of the first degree. And Sensual. They love, they well, love this That's stuff. a Caribbean thing, isn't it? There's a very sensual. Absolutely. And this is what makes Cuba so fascinating. It's Caribbean communism. It's, so that mix. This is not Russia. This is not Eastern <laughs> Europe. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you think of communism, you think kind of gray and bleak. Not, oh, no, no, not Cuba. When you're thinking of the Tropicana, you're probably going to have uh, some cocktails. They, oh, you've they, got to have your mojito. They've, in, they've invented cocktails there, haven't oh, they? Oh, absolutely. Sure. The Mary Pickford was actually invented in Cuba. What's the Mary but, Pickford? Oh, don't ask me the ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a mojito man. What's that? Tell me about a mojito. Well, a mojito is the, the you've got the crushed mints in there with sugar and rum and a little soda water. Ah, fantastic. I mean, made still... famous by Ernest Hemingway, of course. Is that right? Yeah. All right. Now, let's talk about the scene on the streets. You're rich. You're on the street. Everybody knows you're a rich American mm -hmm. or a rich Canadian or mm -hmm. whatever. What kind of con games and hustlers are you going to encounter? Well, there are quite a few. They're called jineteros there. That's the term. Selling false cigars is a classic one. Hmm. You know, you do not buy false cigars on the street. They look real, but they're, they're going to be fakes. Uh, just little, clever little scams. So so uh, are you in danger of being mugged or, or knifed? Um. It happens rarely. Mm -hmm. um, there's just certain sections of Havana, and uh, but most most of the country is very safe. Is it dollars? It's incredibly safe. Do you use dollars when you're? Um, no, the dollars are now banned. I mean, it oh. was a dollar economy between 1996 and 2005. Um, entirely a dollar economy really? for the and most part. And they banned part. it. They they banned it. Now you, mean, you go in with the U.S. dollars, you exchange them at the airport for what is called convertible pesos. Huh. What kind of black market scene is there, or anything? What what's sold on the streets? That's like, do they sell money on the streets? Well, the at a Cubans rate? have got very little to sell on the black market. The black market is a major part of the economy, but it mostly involves Cubans, Cuban-Cuban exchange. So, what would what would something that would be sold on the black market for Cubans be? Oh, it could be anything from food, etc. It would very typical. You're hanging out in a casa particular. The doorbell goes, and it's somebody selling eggs or bread. Anything very simple. So like there's that. a parallel. I mean, there's economy. a shortage. There's a shortage of everything. So Cubans. So just like in the former Soviet Union, there'd be a parallel economy. Uh, it's if, a you, parallel if you want economy. a sausage, Absolutely. you can't get it at the you sure. can't get it at sure. the shop, but you can sure. get it and it's from so and so down the street. It's ubiquitous. I'm speaking with Christopher Baker, and Christopher writes the Moon Handbook to Cuba. To learn more about Christopher's work, you can go to his website. He's got the very enviable web address of travelguidebooks.com. That's quite a website. Travelguidebooks.com. We got uh, Sandy on the line in Wisconsin. Hi, Sandy. Uh, hi, Rick. It's nice to talk with you. Yeah. Thanks for your call. Thank you. I couldn't agree with you more about the warmth of the people, the beauty of Trinidad and the Vinales Valley. Um, we actually traveled on our own and ran into some red tape. We were told that we had to have three nights hotel booked ahead of time. And, you know, we, we couldn't really figure out how to spend convertible pesos and ended up spending dollars. But now I'm told that everything has moved to the euro. Is this true? Um, the euro is now accepted in four places. They're all beach resorts, in Varadero principally, in Guadalavaca, in Cayo Coco, and Cayo Lago. Okay. Hmm. And what about the dollar? Can you still spend dollars? No. Or 
you have to exchange it. Nobody really is accepting dollars. The trouble is that Cubans can no longer utilize dollars in banks, etc. I mean, they, they were given a certain date when they had to pull all their dollars out from under the mattress and take them to banks. Okay. And, and the thing about um, having to have a three nights of hotel booked ahead of time? Uh, that's, that... still, that's still very true. Yeah, that's still very true. I get around that by, you know, I always stay at a Casa Particular. So you need to you need to provide an address when you come into immigration. Okay. If you're going to stay at a Casa Particular, be prepared for the immigration to say, no, we don't accept that. You stand there, you argue, these guys pay their taxes, it's acceptable. I'm not paying my three days hotel, accept it. So wait a minute, you can fly into Cuba without any visa or any predetermined uh, reservations and so on and talk your way through customs? Well, you need to name where you are going to stay. And if, right. you if, if, if you can't do that and show that you have got a legitimate Casa Particular that you're staying at, you will be made to purchase right then and there three nights hotel room. And that'll be expensive? It could be. Hundred bucks a night or what? Right, and this is where you know the scams come in. It's not just individuals ah. on the street pulling scams. But if you have a reservation in a private home that you would get through a guidebook like yours, Correct. I suppose, do you telephone these people to make a reservation or email? Some of them have, even have websites. They've got email now, so they yeah. can they can do that. And then you're legit. You just tell them you're staying there, and these people are up front. They pay taxes. Exactly. That's wonderful advice because we ended up in different hotels from the mm. ones that we had booked at any rate. So. Wow. That is great advice. Sandy, thanks for your call. Thank you, Thank you. Okay. And Kathy's on the line in Bainbridge Island, Washington. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Rick. How are you? Great. Thanks for your call. Thank you. And uh, it's very interesting listening to your information here with your guest. Uh -huh. um, I have married into a European family, so I'm the only American, and they keep wanting to travel as a family to Cuba. And, of course, um, I've been told I am not allowed to go there. I've, uh, I've worked on cruise ships in that area, and we've always sailed around Cuba and made many stops at Puerto Rico. Is it uh, much different than Puerto Rico? And I'm assuming, yes, it is. Yes, but, it is. But <laughs> uh, will there be any kind of a relaxing of the, the laws anytime soon? Or how can I travel if I'm still an American? Will I just have to change citizenship in order to go visit this amazing country? Well, Kathy, I'm sorry. I, I don't have good news for you that... <laughs> Even if you change your citizenship, if you're living in the USA and you're under U.S. law, you are under U.S. law, period. And okay. um, I'm afraid unless you know you're a journalist, etc., then I can't see a legal way for you to visit Cuba. So, I mean, uh -huh. you know, you sound like a very law-abiding person, Kathy, but uh, tens of thousands of Americans go to Canada or Mexico and they end up going to Cuba and... Boy, if you got family going to Cuba, I think that'd be very frustrating if you had to miss the party. And, you know, if they're, if they're in Europe, uh, the direct flights from England to Havana, from Spain, from France, from almost every country. Okay. Kathy, our next, uh, we're going to talk to somebody in a minute who, who makes their living arranging for uh, people traveling from Canada to Cuba. So uh, stay tuned for that, and maybe we'll give you some ideas, okay? Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a good day. Thanks for your call. Thank you. And Marcel is on the line up in Vancouver, and Marcel uh, is from a, a, a travel agency called Cuba Friends. Hi, Marcel. Hi. Nice to be on the show. Yeah. Have you, have you uh, got any comments on things you've heard us talking about in the last uh, few minutes? Oh, uh, the, the kinds of questions uh, that uh, people are calling in on yeah. are the kinds of questions we receive at um, our organization every day. Well, first of all, tell us, uh, what, what is your organization? What do you do? Uh, our organization is called uh, Cuba Education Tours, and we are involved primarily in sending uh, high school students and college and university students uh, from Canada to Cuba for short-term study. And we, we also organize uh, programs for adults that are generally thematic uh, that go to Cuba They'll focus maybe on law in Cuba, on um, health care or education. And uh, we organize maybe about 12 programs a year like that for adults. Do you have a service for individuals from the United States who would want to go to Cuba? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, we don't. We, okay. uh, w however, our friends from the United States are, are welcome always to join any of our programs. So you are going on an educational program, which... That's, I mean, that's the technicality that a lot of Americans visit Cuba on from the United States too, isn't it? It uh, was when it was permitted. Oh, that's been tightened up. That's now. yeah, that's okay. been rescinded under Bush. Well, what about Kathy? We just talked to Kathy Marcel, and all of her relatives are going to Cuba, and she can't because she's got an American passport. Does she just have to uh, hang out in the Yucatan? 
<laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, Christopher's uh, direction to her was correct. She certainly could go to Cuba, like a lot of Americans do, uh, through Mexico. The good thing about Americans going to Cuba is that the Cubans will not stamp an American passport. So there's no evidence of Americans having traveled there. However, when they return to the United States through Mexico or Canada, and they're asked if they visited any other countries, either hmm. either than Canada or Mexico, then they're in the position of having to lie to the immigration. And that's something when, you don't want to do. Um, now, what is the down? What what is the risk? What would happen if I came back and, and from Mexico and they said, "Where else did you go?" And I said, "Well, I, I spent a week in Cuba." That depends because. Uh, many of the customs and immigration officials in the United States w- will just say, "Okay, don't do it. don't ever do that again," and um, go home. And uh, <laughs> okay. however, there are some who will enforce that. In which case, you'll receive a letter from the Office of Foreign Assets Control, which is called OFAC, which is part of the Treasury Department, and uh, you'll be asked to respond to a fine which is usually in the neighborhood of $7,500. And you have to respond to that letter. Otherwise, you'll be it's an automatic judgment against you. Many Americans will fight that claim, and oftentimes the penalty will be reduced to about $1,500. It's about an average penalty that's being leveled against uh, Americans at this point. Are there people doing this just to express their dissent? Oh, goodness. Uh, well... I know lots and lots of people who travel to Cuba regularly from the United States, and they're completely against the travel restrictions as, as well as the larger issues of the embargo. However, it's a lot of trouble taking on the U.S. government, and so they they rarely... I don't know many people that come back and say, I've been to Cuba. Okay, so they just find it in their hearts to lie, basically, when they cross the border. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Christopher, any thoughts on, on what Marcel is telling us? Um, Only that um, the past two years has seen a significant increase in the number of people identified and chased down is basically the term. Even people who've um, entered from Cuba a year ago, let's say, may suddenly find a letter from OFAC arriving through the saying, you know, a letter of intent to find. Mm -hmm. That's right. And if you lie, you're you're in for more trouble than $7,500, I would think. Well, potentially, I guess so. Yeah. So, Marcel, what's the what's the advice? Uh, I guess if if you're if you're an American and you're law abiding, you need to take an educational tour to Cuba. Is that right? Well, no. Uh, and thanks for asking. Uh, the only Americans that can go to Cuba are journalists, and Christopher's mentioned that category. There's a category of, of full time professionals uh, can attend conferences that are okay. in Cuba that are related specifically to their profession. So a doctor could uh, attend an international conference in Cuba about medicine, or he or she could uh, go to Cuba specifically to conduct research in Cuba about Cuban medicine. And that would be called professional research. And those are the only other categories besides journalism that I can think of. What restrictions do Canadians have? Uh, Zero restrictions. It's easier for me to hop on a plane and... uh, land in Havana than it is for me to hop on a plane to Seattle, which is only 150 miles away. Going through U.S. Customs is, I think, more problematic these days than arriving in Havana. And you send school groups down to uh, Cuba routinely from Canada. Um, generally, they're ex- how, how is their experience? Oh, wonderful. It, they describe it as probably, you know, they're, they're often young people, uh, but they describe it as probably one of the best experiences they've mm. ever had in their lives. They fall in love with the Cuban people, uh, the music, the their warmth, and their uh, zest for life. Uh, the students really like it. There is a zest for life that would uh, sort of complement the Canadian kind of uh, world, isn't it? <laughs> it goes deeper than that. It's um, You're quite correct. There's a spirit, but it's the soul. I mean, the Cubans are just yeah. such incredibly rich, profound, wonderful people. Marcel, are there any travel agencies in Canada that you know about that work with American individuals to help them figure this out? I think every every travel agency in Vancouver or any of the other cities across the country are always eager to help uh, Americans travel. My only advice there is there are some unscrupulous agencies here in Mexico as well 
that will tell Americans that if they do travel through Canada or Mexico because they're going through a third country, that it is, in fact, legal to do so. And so I really advise your listeners to disregard that and uh, because it's simply not true. It's illegal regardless of how you get there. However, uh, there's lots of really good agencies, which you can find in the yellow pages or on the Internet, uh, that are more than willing to help individual travelers. All right. Well, Marcel at cubafriends.ca for Canada. cubafriends.ca. Thanks a lot, and good luck with your work. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Bye now. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I've been talking with Christopher Baker. Christopher, there's so much more we could talk about on Cuba, but I'll just say if... uh, if you're curious about Cuba, your book is legal in the United States, isn't it? <laughs> Thank goodness for the this, for Constitution or the First Amendment or whatever it is. This is that you can't <laughs> smoke a Cuban cigar in our country, but you can read a guidebook on Cuba <laughs> in the United States of America. It's the Moon Handbook to Cuba, written by Christopher Baker. Christopher, it's great to have you back, and uh, thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Rick. Happy travels. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com. That's where you can look up information on today's program, listen again in our audio archives, and find links to audio and video podcast features. You can also submit your questions and comments for Rick from our website to be included on future editions of the show or add your comments in our ongoing message boards in the radio section of our website, ricksteves.com. I'm your producer, Tim Tatton. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.